This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Indeed, zero G. <laughs> uh, you are listening to Triple R, and today we are going to do a very special retrospective. I've got Rob here with me. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I am Megan McHugh, and we're keeping it fresh and alive today with a very fresh Rob straight off the tram. Yes. <laughs> I popped a, uh, a lens on my specs, so if I read the wrong thing today, you'll know why. <laughs> All right, just keeps some of the uh, keeps us on our toes. It does. Okay, today's episode is entitled uh, "Waititi is a magical place." Oh, that's a bit nice. Yeah. Well, it's a reference to. Um, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the uh, resurrection process that they undergo when a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent has been damaged right. in, in action. <laughs> so, I just thought it rhymes. It actually gets in there. Our podcast title is Hunt for the Wilder Pods. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a retrospective today, if I can actually find my proper specs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that idea of actually having a look back at especially because I think... Why are we doing it? Well, because, of course, <laughs> Thor is about to um, hit the screens, no, Thor this is Ragnarok. Not, this is not th- Thor 4, this is Thor 3. Yes. Yes. Thor 3, <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Um, and I think especially because they're starting to, well, they're trying to, with mixed success, get on these interesting sort of auteur directors mm-hmm. who maybe are coming from a smaller base of films um, and try to attach them to these big studio blockbusters and kind of see what falls out. So I personally really like YTT's work. Yes. So yeah, you've been doing some crash coursing on it, haven't you? Yes, exactly. So um, I think, yeah, it'll be really good to have a bit of a chat about his style and the other things he's done in preparation yeah. for, I think, is you know, obviously his biggest film to date, but looks like it's keeping a bit of that whimsical energy. If you do a, a, an MCU, a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, it's pretty much any director's best film or biggest film, not best necessarily, but <laughs> biggest film to date when yeah, they do it. biggest budget, biggest studio backing, already mm. a base of fans, yeah, a lot of expectations. Yeah, and this is number 17. Goodness. <laughs> Great. That's almost a person who can drinks amount of. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Thor himself could quaff many flagons of mead doing it that way, but still 17 would be nothing for him. All right. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, Stranger Things drops <gasps> end of the week on Netflix. Yay. I'm not at all excited about that or counting down or it anything. It is Netflix, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Netflix, yeah. uh, and, uh, uh-oh, the Punisher series drops on Netflix on yes. November 17th which is the opening weekend of the Justice League movie. <laughs> oh, excellent. I mean, look, best case... Ex- excellent. Best case, it's good. Worst case, we can just rip it a new one and that'll be quite fun. So. What, The Punisher? No, I no, do just, that. Justice League. <laughs> justice League. <laughs> if he doesn't get justice, I promise you he'll get punishment. <laughs> Frank Castle has a quote for everything. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, now, something that's um, not uh, such a pleasant duty, um, the writer Julian May has passed away. 
She was born on July the 10th, 1931, and she died on October 17th. She's a US-American writer, artist, editor, and costumer, which was really actually important to her uh, to her writing. She writes science fiction, fantasy, horror, science, and children's fiction and non-fiction. She had 250 titles in that latter wow. category. Uh, and she was an encyclopedist as well, <laughs> doing lots of entries for science encyclopedias. She was also known as Lee N. Falconer and Ian Thorne because, mm. you know, that often happens when you're crossing the genres, you change your name. There's a cross-gender um, names there too, which mm. um, unfortunately yes. has been a characteristic uh, because of the publishing industries, you know, oh, a male writer will have more authority. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she started out publishing a fanzine in her teens. Oh, so, Yeah. And her first science fiction short story, Dune Roller, was sold in, 19, in the 1950s to John W. Campbell's astounding science fiction. It was filmed in 1972 as The Cremators. And um, that is not a really good film, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless... Um, it's directed by a guy called Harry Essex, and I got quite excited when I saw the actor, and it was David Essex. But that's not <laughs> the same David Essex that uh, some of us will know, even me. Um, she was the first woman to chair a, wo- a world science fiction convention in Chicago in 1952, and she is best known for her books, the Saga of the Pliocene Exile which I'm absolutely gobsmacked that I actually managed to pronounce Pliocene and not Plasticine. (laughs) Uh, The saga of the Pliocene exile, well, it's actually a really elegant idea. There's a a group of um, late 21st and early 22nd century misfits who decide to go through a a one-way stargate, time gate, to uh, Earth's Pliocene epoch. So this is way back in the time of not dinosaurs but giant mammals. Uh, and they're trying to find a, a kind of a utopia in a simpler era. That that silly idea that if you go back into Earth's fast, it's going to be nicer and simpler. Yes, well. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, even, even giant wombats and, um, uh, and giant uh, miniature horses aside... <laughs> they are. I have to get that right. Even even in light of that, they run into the fact that there's some aliens who've crash landed on Earth. Uh, some of them are nice ones. Some of them are not so nice ones. Mm. And these aliens are actually the explanation behind the origins of fairies and elves. Uh, so back in the back when this was written, this was quite a uh, an interesting trope to to feel back then. Um, and these, uh, she also went on to write the uh, Galactic Milieu series, which is tied in with the Pliocene saga, and a three-way science fiction series called Trillium with Marion Zimmer-Bradley and Andre Norton. She also wrote, as Ian Thorne, a series of horror movie tie-ins for kids hmm. based on the old movies The Blob, Dracula, The Wolfman, in the late 70s to the early 1980s. So she did quite well with those too. Cool. Um, 
and and I can remember reading these these books recommended by my partner Gail, and they're actually quite disturbing in some ways, but they are actually really well written. They remind me a little bit of um, the Pern novels, in in which case you've got uh, a grounded um, uh, people from outer space, uh, you know, and there's psychic powers and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Except they don't actually bond mentally with giant wombats or anything like that. More's the pity. Well, it's a pity. But it's very, very sad to hear that uh, Julian May has passed away. I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> All right, now we're continuing on in today's Zero-G. We're pretty much the whole show devoted to the films of... <laughs> Taika Waititi. Yes. Yeah. I've heard it pronounced in New, Z- well, New Zealand as Taikai, but you know. I think that's an accent in me. Yeah. An accent thing. <laughs> and, and we and we don't we shouldn't do accents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, he is the director of Thor Ragnarok. I had to get the rolled R's there somewhere in today's show, and uh, that film is coming out this week. Seventeenth Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Although you can you can start playing with the numbers there and throw in um, extra X Men films and oh you know, no, they don't count. And Fantastic Four films, they definitely don't count. No. <laughs> All right, we won't then. We'll forget those. <laughs> um, and Spider Man Homecoming came out in DVD last week too. Oh, is it out? Yeah. Oh, I might. So I have to uh, have to catch up with that one as well because uh, I haven't seen it three D. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, Thor Ragnarok, which I hope is in, uh, has got a 3D edition too because I really want to see the hammer coming at you, <laughs> uh, which the other directors, as far as I know, well, actually, I shouldn't say that because I haven't seen those in 3D, so I don't know. Maybe they do f- hurl the hammer. It will be in 3D. Maybe they throw Mew Mew at us quite heavily. So, okay, the other two Thor films, um, and really there are more than just two because uh, you've got to think that um, uh, that the Avengers films count as Thor films as well because mm. he figures quite prominently in, in both Avengers and Age of Ultron. So, it all gets a bit... Because, I mean, I would consider Captain America Civil War to be more of an Avengers film than a... But Thor isn't in that one. Well, yes, but yes. I guess, I mean, <laughs> when you're thinking Avengers and whatnot, it's all the overlap gets a bit... Gets a bit uh, fluid, let's oh, say. And we know he was wasn't there. He was off hanging with his mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we saw him in one of those Marvel one shot films. <laughs> I can't remember his mate's name. It was Brian or Kevin? It was or something like Darren like that. or something Darryl. like that. Maybe yeah. Daryl. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was meant to be a bit forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the other two films. So Kenneth Branagh directed the first one, uh, and I thought he actually did a very creditable, creditable job. Yeah putting that one together, uh, and it was epic too. Mm. I, I felt very strongly about that. I, I, look, nobody, there's a lot of people who didn't like uh, Thor The Dark World. Yes, I am one. Um, bits of it I don't like. Uh, I, I think, I, I really think it was a big waste of Christopher Eccleston mm. as the, um, the Dark Elf Lord. Mm. I just, uh, it's such a pity there because he's a great actor. And that happens a lot, I think, there's been some films where the the villain has been a bit um, under not underused, but maybe not misused, not fleshed or, out. Yeah, yeah, a missed opportunity. Yeah. Let's say. But but nevertheless, I thought that film was still carried by both 
Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston doing mm. their their uh, bro act. They have a good rapport, I think. Oh, they do, and it's so funny too. And that's the thing about the um, the Thor movies. There is humour in them, mm. and a great deal in the Avengers movies too. And they've leaned into the the Thor humour a lot more with Avengers and whatnot. So I think that's sort of part of his character a bit more now, which is nice. And after seeing Chris Hemsworth in the Ghostbusters movie, <laughs> where he played the secretary, um, I thought he was magnificent in that great, great dumb comic timing. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that it's past time where he was actually given a film as big as this one where he can actually let loose and just mm. have fun with it. I think he does have quite a nice... Um, comic timing yeah. instinct, actually. I mean, <laughs> I know his work so closely, but I do think, you know, the bits and pieces you see, I think he can play that quite well. And, and if any director on earth can bring that out in a quirky way, that's Taika Waititi. His work is so funny. You know, you know let's talk themes. We love to talk themes. Here. Oh, yes, themes. <laughs> themes. All right. So, I'm okay. ready. Um, I, I, I've gone and watched... Uh, um, hunt for the wilder people. Um, what we do in the shadows. Interviews with some vampires, <laughs> more or less. Uh, and also, boy. Oh yes. And um, uh, there was one other actually. Uh, Eagle versus shark. Eagle versus shark, and yep. another one. Um, two cars in a, a car park. Two cars, two parks, something like that. Yeah. It's a short film that was nominated for an Oscar. All of them have. Themes of family, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be blood family. Uh, it can be as uh, simple as people sharing a house, as in shadows, mm-hmm. or uh, people who are settled upon other people. Two cars, one night. Two cars, one night, right. Uh, as in um, hunt for the wilder people. Or it can just be... Uh, it can actually be a blood family in some cases, but one that's estranged. And he loves getting in there and picking that those relationships apart. Mm. Uh, obviously, a dry, laconic humour is his trademark. Very much um, John Clarkian. Mm. Uh, he's quite merciless in sending up bureaucracy. Uh, and also in, again, getting the elements out of uh, family relationships that we all know and love but nevertheless are also quite amusing when seen from a safe distance. Yeah, I think he has a good <laughs> instinct for how much heart to include so it doesn't become too um, saccharine. Yeah, But yeah. still remains quite poignant, but very much still with a comedy um, as he, sort of one of the four. He knows how to things. go into something like a funeral mm. and then milk it for laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... I don't know. I've been to a lot of funerals and some of the, you know, they, they are that mixture of terrible tragedy and sadness, but also there are moments in it that quite often make you laugh. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, I really enjoy the fact that he's able to recognise that and put that up on screen. And yeah. actually it was deliberate there picking out funerals because there are ones that appear in several of those films. Yeah. Um, whether it be... Uh, the tragedy, and there are some spoilers in here for these other films. Oh, are we going to go spoilery? Yeah, why not? These okay. are all, you know, several years past some of these. True. Um, the uh, the funeral in Hunt for the Wilder People. Is it? I say wilder people. Am I saying it wrong? No, you're probably right. Wilderness. I just like wilderness. It's like, you know, I mean, you've pulled me up on saying majestical instead of 
<laughs> Majestic. <laughs> oh, that's such an in-joke. That is a deep cut there. Yeah, good old, good old Sam Neill. Um, and the funeral in, uh, well, it's more of a trial in um, what we do in the shadows for poor Peter who's, who's, oh, yeah. who has a fatal sunlight-based that's accident. Right. He's a Nosferatu and he gets burned to death when a vampire hunter attacks the... Uh, the, the, the shared flat, <laughs> the guys. Uh, you know, so he's able to do that. So, okay, we've got family family um, elements mm. and themes and we've got um, a laconic sense of humour. Mm. Um, this is a kind of a, 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 I don't know if it's a metaphemal, it's kind of an underlying um, passion that he's got for including um, uh, New Zealand Indigenous actors mm. in his films. And I think in a way that, makes complete sense in terms of a lot of his work has got a very clear tie to his heritage and a sense of place. And I think he tells, I mean, if you look at Hunt for the Wilder People, it definitely tackles some very real themes and probably some very real themes of sort of those areas and that place and those people. And I think it feels very authentic. Mm. And so I like that approach that he's telling stories that are obviously important to him. Yeah. And that's why I think they resonate so much because they they feel very authentic from the director's point of view and also who's in it and who's sort of um, portraying those stories, if you will. He's, he's very clearly a geek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you watch um, both Eagle versus Shark, and uh, uh, hunt for the wilder people, and particularly what we do in the shadows, mm. and that that geekiness because he's sometimes he's most often writing these things as well as yes. directing them, like Kenneth Branagh. Mm. Mm. Uh, although he did borrow from some chap called Shakespeare at one stage, <laughs> uh, but you know uh, the um, the idea that he can get into the uh, the procedure of whatever his geekery is involved with mm. uh, with. Um, with Boy, there are clear links to uh, Michael Jackson's work uh, and also to E.T. Mm. and The Hulk, believe it or not. I've just realised that. The Hulk okay. is actually drawn in, um, in the movie Boy. It's one of the characters uh, Hulk's out oh, and, and it's depicted there. Oh, another theme, and again, this is more of a, uh, a preference that he seems to have for including animation Mm. Little spots of animation in his film, stop animation too, whether it's drawn or uh, visions of um, talking food or apple cores that suddenly take on a life of their own. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's even one uh, scene in Eagle versus Shark where he has the, the, uh, the two lovers in sleeping bags on a hill and they suddenly start stop animating around <laughs> like caterpillars. Yeah, fun. <laughs> fun, yeah. So I hope we see something like that in, uh, yeah. in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Thor and Hulk just having a little sleepover. Yeah, do a, a mon- get through that montage. Like remember the glorious montage at the start of um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Oh, yeah, that, that was very That clever. amazing monster fight. It's yeah. actually just a background for Groot to go... Wrapping along. That's right. Yeah, that was a really clever scene. I oh, think. beautiful! And and this goes back to what you were saying about before about picking auteurs mm. and seeing how you can change it up. And like I said, I mean, we've had mixed luck. Like, we'll see how we go with Ryan Johnson in the Last Jedi because mm-hmm. he did um, Brick, which was this high school movie. Um, like a kind of a high school noir thing, which was really, really amazing. And then he did Looper, obviously. Yes. Um, And then, so, yeah, they've kind of, he's been stepping up 
here and there. And then Duncan Jones obviously went from doing like Moon and Source Code and then they gave him Warcraft. Yes. Which from memory you really liked. Uh, or, yes. Or liked. Enough. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I was derided it into the ground. <laughs> um, and then I think I was trying, I think, oh, yeah, Mark Webb, who did some of those Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, they yep. kind of pulled him out. And, I mean, that, again, in my opinion, the first one was good. The second one was pile of garbage. <laughs> so I think I, th- I like the idea of what's happening. In- oh, and Justin Kurtzel, obviously, with Assassin's Creed, which we both... You know, I saw an advertisement for the new Assassin's Creed um, game module. Yeah. Uh, is it Origins or something like that? Anyway, it's... Um, There's always a new one. The poster looks <laughs> terrific. It looks way more exciting than that movie. Well, and it's disappointing, <laughs> isn't it? Because the games are such a... Anyway, this is a whole other sideline. But you're right. I think the idea of those auteurs, but then they need that room to do the thing they do yeah. rather than having to be crammed into the studio system. So James Black with Iron Man 3. I know people have problems with the Mandarin and stuff like that in that, <laughs> but I, I love that film. It, yeah. it just it was so surprising. Mm. And a long-term Iron Man fan who just got everything just turned on its head. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how often does this happen to me at the cinema? Not very often. And yeah. I suspect that's what's happened with the Han Solo movie, which isn't just called Solo. It is. Um, they <laughs> had those guys on who, from 21 Jump Street, yeah. you know, and then they obviously were running a bit wild and so then they've ditched them and brought in the old the hat of Ron Howard. So yeah. I just, long story short, I hope Waititi has had the room to do his thing within yeah. the Thor world. And from the trailers and early reports, it sounds like he's had the freedom to do that, mm. which is a good sign. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. Okay, yeah, and that was... Uh... Oh, you were dead. <laughs> Norma Tanega, 1966. One of the great tracks from uh, Mr. Waititi's film, What We Do in the Shadows, a mockumentary, a vampire mockumentary. Mockumentaries can be so great and also go so wrong. And luckily, this was the former. Yes. Uh, you know, I know a couple of people who can't stand the film, um, but... It just caught me when I was mm. watching it. Didn't know too much about it, which is often the best way. So I'm sitting there going, this is so cool. This is so much better than Interview of a Vampire. <laughs> uh, admittedly, it doesn't have Kirsten Dunst in it, but it um, uh, doesn't have Tom Cruise, so that's a plus. <laughs> Instead, it has uh, an amazing little cast of um, ruffians and rebels and rascals and and the basic premise of what we do in the shadows is it's a documentary made by some very brave mm. or foolish film crew in wellington where there is a, a community of 70 to 80 vampires yes. <laughs> in greater wellington they plus say. a mixture of other yes um creatures of the night yes Werewolves and uh, not swearwolves, werewolves. No, exactly. <laughs> a couple of zombies, um, yeah. sorcerers, and all that sort of stuff. Mishmash of characters. A supernatural sort of thing. <laughs> this is a great idea. 
And uh, it's even better, the trope in this one, as we were saying, they've crea- he creates a family by having a share house of vampires <laughs> with all of the problems of share houses. And that's what I like too is that he does the share house stuff so well and the kind of supernatural vampire stuff so well. Yeah. Which I think makes a big difference. I, I thought so. Uh, and... Um, and the other great thing about it is that uh, it's got Jermaine Clement in it. Yeah. Who's a, a long-term um, comedic partner of um, Taika Waititi. He's been worked with him many times before. Um, they sort of swap over films and stuff. Mm. Um, what's that a, a film that Jermaine... Uh, Periscope? I think... Um, I'll, I'll get go back and look at that later. It doesn't matter. It's uh, this film, the, the vampire mockumentary... Again, the procedural there is first class. Mm. Like you could put that vampire stuff into any vampire film and people would be going, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, they've gotten all sorts of stuff in there like um, the vampires turning into bats, uh, which is fairly basic, but um, finding out that they can see themselves using uh, digital cameras. Yeah. Because there's no silver involved in um, (laughs) digital cameras. Uh, So I actually suppose there is when you think about it. Hmm. Hmm, that's actually made me stop and think. Uh, well, anyway, the uh, the fact that if the vampires eat common food, it makes them throw up enormous quantities of blood. Yeah. The fictional fact, I should say. But they've done all that really well. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that all uh, adds up to a, to a film that um, doesn't actually wear out its welcome, I thought. Yeah. It comes close. Yeah. A couple of times you're thinking, um, am I just in like um, some uh, university review like sketch like Monty Python or something? There was – I wasn't sure where it was going to go and then there's obviously they introduced some plot yeah. devices and things to move things on and then they introduce just enough new things as the plot goes on to keep you interested. But you're right. I think it's, it's just long enough. Mm. I think if it was any longer, too long. He co-directed that one and co-wrote it with Jermaine from Flight of the Concords, obviously. And, of course, he's uh, also worked on um, a Flight of the Concords episode Mm -hmm. and directed some of the the music videos for that show too, (laughs) Uh, as well as having um, other actors cross over Mm. from that kind of thing. But then it's New Zealand, so, you know, you're going to have people from Lord of the Rings, um, people who've worked with Sam Raimi on the... Hercules, Zena sorts of shows. Uh, So it's all sort of munched together, which is quite good. All held together with a good bit of bailing wire, which is very (laughs) appropriate for our Antipodean larrikin cousins over the pond. (laughs) Um, Because his uh, his heritage includes um, uh, Maori on his father's side uh, and Russian-Jewish heritage on his mother's side, he also uses his uh, mother's surname Cohen, sometimes when he writes or, or does films. Hmm. So if you ever see his name and it's got Cohen after it, that's him too. <laughs> so he can pull a fast one there for with us. Um, so, okay, with the, uh, the what we do in the shadows, uh, so much of that film ties into the pop culture of vampires as well. Yeah. So you, you feel like some of the, the ground that's been covered in other films is actually done better it's spaded over better in this film and you think, wow, I kind of got the same feeling watching um, that comedy we were talking about, uh, um, The Last Man on Earth, which does oh, its... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. With does Will its, Forte. Yes. Does its um, apocalyptic uh, uh, procedural so well, so much better than some of the ones that are actually straight dramas. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I felt about what we... Doing the shadows, which I, it deserves a, a place in the collection of any 
vampire buff. Yeah, it's a lot of it's fun, it's funny. There's some yeah, very clever stuff in there. And I love the way that they start out with Peter, the uh, the eight thousand year old Nosferatu who's yeah. in the basement with his uh, broken <laughs> teeth and and he's just this feral awful creature of the night, you know, yeah. uh, inhuman. But he gradually gets drawn into the shared house meetings. Yeah. And you see him at one stage looking a little bit uncertain where they're telling him, don't eat this guy because he's our IT consultant. Because Taika Waititi is in what we do in The Shadows, of course, yes. too. So he does yes. um, acting and whatnot. And I think his character's so good. He's uh, Viego, the, um, what would you call it, the den mother of the shared house? Yes, yes. Very he- proper... An 18th century dandy who's got this so delicate, sad love story. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it, I, I really think he pulls that off quite nicely because that character could quite easily be very annoying. Oh, yeah. And he is annoying, but in this in this way that's played just right for comedy, I think. Yeah, it reminds me of The Office a little bit. They're all a bit... They're wrong. Mm. <laughs> And that, well, but, they're vampires. But right? they think... I mean, this is like something I've often thought about myself. They, they, they're so wrong, but they think they're actually funny. You know? <laughs> but they're, you know, it's just, it's just sort of winsible, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, anyway, a great film. And um, obviously out there on DVD. I think I first saw it at one of the film festivals. Also streaming on Stan. Yes. yes. So if you've Not got Stan, that. you can catch it on there too. Mm. Wow! Hey, Space Buddies! I'm Danny John Jules. I play the cat on Red Dwarf. And I gotta tell you that listening to Zero G is fashionable as wearing knee-length socks with thongs. Zero G, industrial strength sci-fi pum-pum on three triple R. Looking at um, Taika Waititi's uh, films pre-Thor Ragnarok, Mm -hmm. we just did What We Do in the Shadows, the vampire mockumentary. And Hunt for the uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is one of the other films, but I think we'll do. Um, uh, this is one two ones I watched uh, uh, last night. Uh, two Cars, One Night, which is an Oscar-nominated short film, mm. and I want to mention that because it's only about eleven min- minutes long. Came out in two thousand and four. Uh, there's two boys and a girl. They met. They're um, sitting out in the cars in a pub in um, rural New Zealand, and. Um, they, uh, they're rivals shouting at things that are across the space between the two cars and then they uh, kind of get a bit more friendly. And that's all it is. It's a, it's a tiny, tiny little piece. Mm. But there's some um, quick animation and uh, a little bit of family um, matters, issues in it, laconic humour. Kids talking way more advanced or a little bit more advanced than you would normally expect kids to talk. Uh, but um, that's another signature of the director. Uh, and, and like this, this, this film got so many um, nominations and wins as well. Mm. Um, live action short film Academy Awards in 2005 it was nominated for. Uh, but one of the things they mention in it are the crazy horses, uh, a kind of a gang, and that shows up again in the film Boy, which um, was the most successful New Zealand film in the New Zealand box office ever in 2010. And again, it's written and directed by our boy, uh, Mr. Taika Waititi. Taika. 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 Uh, the film stars James Rolleston and also, of course, um, a bunch of other actors who've appeared in Taika's films. And 
himself too. <laughs> so he's once again taken a, a major role in this one. And he does that with such confidence and, and class. And the, uh, the gang in this film is the crazy horse. So they've kind of rolled that forwards through this. And it, it's basically um, a young boy who's uh, got a, a, quite a large extended family. His um, mother has died. His father's in prison, but he has a fantasy sort of magic realism relationship with them all. Um, that's actually characterises a lot of um, Tyker's films. He's got that whole magic realism thing going. Mm. And in this case, they do have a, some strong issues with um, domestic violence and uh, broken families and neglect as mm. well because the father comes back in a way that actually reminds me of a Coen Brothers film, comes back to find some buried loot on the family farm. Now, there's nobody at home except the, like, uh, gaggle of children and the young boy has been left in charge because Gran's gone off to a funeral um, in, uh, somewhere down the track. Uh, so they're all sort of left to their own devices as they try and figure out what's going on. And as I, I said that before, that there's some uh, some references to the Incredible Hulk, and this one's set in the 80s too, by the way, uh, and to E.T., especially with his magic healing finger, uh, and a few other pop culture references, especially Michael Jackson because Thriller was quite big back mm-hmm. then. And in fact, at the end of the film, stay for the credits because there's a there's a, a dance sequence that um, uh, that reminds me of something like uh, from Takeshi Kitano's films, you know, a little strange little dance sequence thrown in there with uh, Michael Jackson and, and everybody doing zombie sort of stuff and, and um, other uh, supernatural things. Anyway, the, uh, the film sparkles with the dialogue once again. I can see why it was very popular. Mm. Uh, and, and you might think, oh, Rob Jan's looking at films that are not um, necessarily science fiction or fantasy. but <laughs> How dare! But, but these do cross over into that so yeah. easily. And I do think it is nice to take a look back at... Like yeah, like I said before, the other work of directors that are now working in genre, mm. because I think it's a nice idea that you know you're getting lots of different styles and perspectives come in, and mm. you know I think it's relevant. Oh, this is me, right? Uh, <clears throat> right, voice over time. Avast there, mateys. This is Captain John English, and you'll be listening to Zero G on Three Triple R FM Pirate Radio. Ha ha! Beware of cheap pirate copies. <laughs> Oh, I'm rapidly becoming incoherent here on Zero G on Three Triple R FM. Rob Jan and Megan McHugh, and we're just uh, really winding up a little bit of a retro look at mm. uh, some of um, Taika Waititi's other films before he uh, slams us with the hammer of Thor Ragnarok <laughs> this week. So we've um, just played a track called The Partisan, which is. Uh, a beautiful uh, Leonard Cohen rendition there, a cover of a French song, or um, an English song about the French. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, in the uh, the Hunt for the um, Wilder People soundtrack, which is the next film we're just going to quickly power through. Uh-huh. Uh, one of his latest uh, ones, just last year. Yes. Um, so you can catch up with that one on video. Oh, sorry, on DVD. Yes, and I rented it on iTunes, so you can rent or buy it on yeah. iTunes if you well, like. I rented um, Boy on um, iTunes, yeah. so it's amazing, you know. The, yeah, it's the, good. The, the, the ability, this is the sort of thing you'd have to scrabble around when reviewing 
once yeah. before. Now you can just go, bang, there it is. It was so easy. Anyway, mm. this isn't an ad this for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> no, a Hunt for the Wilder People is again about a young boy from uh, urban New Zealand who ends up uh, having to be fostered out with a couple in rural New Zealand. He's a bit of a tearaway. In fact, he's... Terrible. <laughs> Steal stuff, yes. wreck stuff, yeah, vandalise does, stuff. Does graffiti and those spits. Are the, these are the only th- only the things we know about. <laughs> and he ends up on a farm, mm. um, and uh, there's a, a lady there who's his new auntie. She is just uh, she's a pistol. She's an mm. amazing ball of energy. And um, some of those scenes, those early scenes with her, are so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, the, it's lovely. The bit where she goes pig hunting with, yeah. with a Bowie knife. That's the bit something. I'm thinking of. It's so good. <laughs> That's dinner sorted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And, and, of course, Sam Neill plays the uncle, mm. the uh, taciturn. The curmudgeonly yeah. old, yeah. But he's expert in the wilderness. Mm. And, the, he's uh, got the knack. He's got the knack. And they end up going on the run from um, the Child Protection Authorities, the Child Welfare Authorities. Which apparently has a a large amount of resource and reach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I personally think, obviously, they lean into it for satire, but it did show a little bit that, you know, I think it had a quite nice eye for, like, an action sequence. Like, it was a bit fun, and I think the way he handled some of those scenes, even though it was played up, obviously. Yeah, they've added a lot for cinematic effect. Uh, Mm. It's um, based on a book by um, Barry Crump, uh, quite a beloved book, Mm. and this to me, demonstrates that uh, Taika can handle somebody else's material, walk into somebody else's universe, which, of course, is going to be important, (laughs) uh, and and still stamp it with his own particular signature of merrymaking and laconic humour. Now, um, one of the other things about this particular film I really, really liked was (laughs) the the car chase at the end, which which was just, it was, you know, the word wacky gets deployed too often but mm. um, it just fit with the film and you don't really you're not really sure is it going to go like Thelma and Louise yeah or, yeah and that uncertainty helped give it a bit of an edge that you don't often mm. see with car chases I think as well like a lot of the things he does aren't necessarily he's not doing anything wildly new in terms of story or plot no. but I think it's all in the execution which is very fresh and unique yeah I was quite moved by it. I mean I know I'm not the only one I think it was quite well received yes. but I was very moved by it I thought it's it's a nice Nice little film. Some people might find it a bit too twee or wacky, but I personally thought it had a lot to say and I think it was very sweet and very well done Mm. and funny. Yeah. And again, there was a little bit of um, animation in it. Yes. I hadn't realised and then when you were talking about it before, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But just the detail, the details that he has. um, The first night that the the child is left in the care of this family, um, uh, his auntie leaves him in his room with some soft toys, Mm. some really crap books to read, a hot water bottle. Yeah. And a nice sharp knife to kill any monsters that might be out there in the night. It's just another world, but yeah. it's. I think it's really lovely, and authentic. The, oh, but my God, the landscape is incredible. It's great. It's Middle Earth sort of mm. landforms. And you never need to actually use a Dutch tilt camera angle in New Zealand because there's no flat surfaces that are horizontal. I they're know. All, they're all angled. The, the scenery is really nicely respected and shown off, I think. And he actually does that the way many Australian directors have done the, handled the same thing. The scenery is another character. Yeah. The 
landscape is, is, a, is, a, is a creature. Mm. Uh, and it's respectful of that lifestyle. Like I found myself thinking, mm. wow, like that's such a different way of living and I find that so great. Uh, and so that's it. We're all prepped for Thor Ragnarok mm. next week. I know, excited, very excited. Mm. Uh, until next week, um, how was Japan? <laughs> This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.